You're listening to Conversation Balloons, interviews with experts and friends about how the generations can help each other thrive. I'm your host, Leah Farish. Check out this episode. Today we have Tim Elmore on our show, founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, headquartered in Atlanta. He's been featured on CNN and Fox and & Friends, and his writing has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, Psychology Today. And he has endorsements from Gene Twenge at San Diego State and best-selling authors Daniel Pink and John Maxwell. And he has an exciting new partnership with John Maxwell. And uh, I'd love to hear about that to start us off. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Great to be with you, Leah. Tell me what you'll be doing with John Maxwell's organization. Well, uh, I worked with John Maxwell for 20 years. In fact, right out of college, I graduated from ORU and and started in with John and uh, had a marvelous couple of decades learning leadership. But all the while I worked for John and he was teaching leadership to pastors and corporate leaders, I kept thinking, what would it look like? to get this to the next generation, where they might not be into the laws of leadership, but they would need some pedagogy, some style that would reach them, to connect with them in a relevant way. And so really my life has been all about the next generation. I've been an educator since 1979. And uh, so um, worked with John for 20 years, started Growing Leaders, a nonprofit organization focused on just that topic, getting leadership to the next generation. So recently, John and I were meeting at his house. Uh, I go down there a a time or two a year just to ask him questions. He's still a mentor. And John asked how I was doing. And I said, well, I'm doing okay. But he heard me say just okay. Well, it's been a very hard last couple of years. The pandemic has not been fun for anybody. So John followed up and he and Mark Cole, his CEO, sat down with me at breakfast and just said, um, what do you think about a merger? What do you think about combining forces? You are the next generation guy, and so is growing leaders. And we're, you know, we would love to have that part, uh, a part of our universe. So it's really kind of been a fun homecoming. And um, I can hardly wait for the rest of the year and the uh, years ahead, where we'll be really globetrotting around the world, um, taking these habitudes and these principles to the next generation. Yeah. That's wonderful. Tell us briefly about Habitudes. Okay. So for anybody listening that wouldn't know, don't feel funny. Most, many people don't know, but Habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. It's a way of learning a timeless principle through the power of a picture. Uh, And because pictures are worth a thousand words, it leads to student engagement. Uh, And that's what we all want, engagement with our kids at the dinner table, in the classroom, on the football field. So we work, Leah, with thousands of athletic programs and K-12 schools and colleges, uh, giving them really a tool to start conversations and launch experiences that we think change their life. So um, our little um, lesson plan that we give to teachers is uh, the word dice. You got to roll the dice. So you start with a dilemma. Here's a problem that needs to be solved. That leads to an image that addresses that problem. Uh, Images lead to conversations. That's the letter C, which leads to an experience, which is what we think changes our life. So dilemma, image, conversation, experience. And we have just found that um, it's been a really cool, um, yeah, tool, as I mentioned, that that, uh, just has changed the lives of uh, 2.3 million kids we've been able to reach since starting Growing Leaders in 2003. So 
it's been fun. That's wonderful. Yeah. What a great thing to contribute to this needy world. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, today yeah. I want to talk with you about the presence of many generations in the workplace and a, a multi-generational workplace can be a wonderful, rich thing, and it can be a, a rather confusing <laughs> place. And yes. I think you have some insights for us. How many, can, just give us an overview of the generations, how many generations as you define them are in the workplace yeah. and give us an overview of their traits. Okay, great question. Um, there are as many as five generations in any given workplace. So let's take a school campus. There might be a builder generation person who grew up during the Great Depression, World War II, that's still active. They're past retirement age, but they're mowing the lawn or doing handiwork or, you know, doing something. Maybe they're in, working in the kitchen, but they just love their work. And even at 80 years- Or they're alumni. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. So then there's the baby boomer generation. That's my generation. Those people were born between 1946 and 1964, post-World War II. Uh, there was a boom of babies when the soldiers came back from the war, 76.4 million kids born in that 18-year period. And those baby boomers are retiring at 10,000 a day in America. So even as we sit here today, 10,000 more baby boomers are leaving, but there's still a bunch left in the workforce. They are, this, they are the kind of the veteran people in the workforce. And then you have the baby buster generation or the Gen Xers. We've all known them as Generation X. 1965 to 82, so the late 60s all the way through the 70s. They were called Gen X because that generation didn't want to be called anything. Don't stereotype me. So X became the, the, the marker. But the very first title they were given, Leah, was Baby Buster because their generation started at the public introduction of the birth control pill. So instead of a boom, it was a bust. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you add on top of that, yeah, Roe v. Wade you have a shrinking population, not a booming population. So it was much smaller. It was a bust, not a boom. And then you have the millennials that came along in the 80s. So the 80s and 90s, uh, the millennial generation, we've been writing and talking about them for 15 to 20 years now, uh, but they are the largest part of the workforce now. 51 to 52% of the workforce are millennials now. Uh, and then you have Generation Z finally, which are the um, youngest generation now onboarding from college to career. Uh, they would be 2001 on up to, uh, up, up to now, just about uh, 2015, 2016, the last were born. Uh, and then really they're not in the workplace yet, but the alpha generation are the youngest children that we're now starting. I just uh, wrote an ebook on the alpha generation, these children that will be born into the pandemic, you know, and uh, oh my goodness, you and I have talked a little bit about these kiddos and how much we care for them, but um, they wouldn't be in the workforce, but they are ones that we deeply care about. But um, those are the kids and those are the, the generations that are gracing our workplace. That, As you very well said, it can be marvelous. It can be a marvelous mosaic in the workplace with different colors and shapes and sizes that add value to each other, or it can be a very conflicted workforce because we just can't find a way to understand each other's language or values or customs. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little more about how each of the generations functions in the workplace and what they want to get out of their work experience. Okay. Well, let me let me respond to that first with a couple of stories that I think illustrate how 
valuable both are, but yet how conflicted we often become. Um, I just finished a book on this very topic, and Tony was one of the case studies. Tony, true story, his name is Tony, graduated just a couple of years ago from Ohio University. And unlike many college students, he had a job that he liked. He had a part-time job working at Sherwin-Williams Paint Store. So, you know, went to school full-time, worked part-time. While he was working his shift at Sherwin-Williams, he started mixing paints and coming up with very lovely colors. In fact, he would put blueberries in white paint, mix it out, and it formed a really cool color, a shade of blue. And so he started a TikTok account to post pictures of what he was doing. Well, Leah, he got 1.4 million people following him on TikTok. So he thought, oh my gosh, this could this got some traction here. So he took it to management and said, look what I'm doing. Do you want to you know, use this for marketing? Do you want to monetize this? And he did not get anybody interested. He did not get anybody that was willing to watch his slide deck on what he was doing. Huh. But he did get something he he didn't expect. He got fired. Oh gosh. Sherwin Was Williams let him go. Yeah, they thought you're doing it on your work time. You're uh you're probably stealing the paint. They assumed the worst about this 21-year-old, and they let him go. Well, today Tony's in Florida. He started his own paint company. <laughs> He's got 1.8 million people following him now. And I think Sherwin Williams, if we're just honest, probably missed out on a marketing opportunity on a platform that they didn't yet monetize. Mm -hmm. So that's one story. Here's the emerging generation with creativity and ideas we are not leveraging like we could be mm -hmm. at our companies. Mm -hmm. Story number two is um, Helen. Helen is an HR executive who loves the next generation. So she's interview interviewing them all the time as an HR exec. Uh, and she told me at the end of one week, she just had some very exhausting meetings. And she said they weren't exhausting because the, the young people were not loaded with potential. They were exhausting because the young people were not ready for our workplace. Uh, one young man said, uh, are you kidding me? I'm not going to work 40 hours every week. I want free time. And so he just wasn't quite ready for the 40 hour a week full time job. Another young lady, I'll just share this real quick and then we can move on. But another young lady was looking at her phone throughout the entire interview, obviously distracted. Well, that happens. But Helen was thinking, this is a job interview. This could be, you know, the lion's share of your week every week if you if you do it well. And then um, she got a call on that smartphone. She ended up taking the call during the interview. <laughs> not kidding. And then she held her hand over the phone and said, just a minute. And she asked Helen to leave her office so she could complete the call in privacy. I'm not kidding. So Helen said, you know what? We're, our interview's finished. I'll let you go and you can take that call in your car. And of course, Helen, loved, she reiterated, I love these young people, but I just am seeing too many that aren't ready. Well, I'm saying shame on us as moms and dads and as employers that didn't, or, or educators that didn't get these kids ready for the transition they're about to do. So bottom line of what I'm saying is, if we could somehow find a connection point, a bridge rather than a wall that we're building, maybe we could leverage the goodness. Helen's got so much to give to that 21-year-old. She could teach them how to be ready for this workforce, how to win and succeed at this workforce. And then at the same time, Tony could help us with a social media platform, but we're not yet leveraging. Mm. And uh, so I, I feel like 
if I can answer your question now briefly, the, the, the baby boomer generation has stories to tell, mentoring to offer, if we'll let them. Gen X is the heartbeat of the workforce right now. They've got so much to add. They are pragmatists. They're realists. They grew up a little bit cynical, and so they're already in the real world. Nobody has to tell them to get into the real world. The millennials have so much to add because there's so many of them, and they are social, and they love family. They don't want work-life balance. They want work-life blending, I believe. So, And then, of course, Gen Z, they're hackers. They are already showing us so much by the way they're um, growing up with a smartphone in their hand. They're asking Google and Siri and Alexa questions that kids used to ask mom and dad. Mm. So we need to capitalize on that hacker mindset and say, how can you help us DIY this next project with how much you know? So I'll, I'll stop there. I hope that's helpful. But I just think they're, they're all willing to add something if we'll have listening ears to let them add. I think that you're giving us the, the first tip in creating a healthy multi-generational workplace, which is to find the positives and the contributions yeah. in each one. That's right, yeah. And um, have you found any different expectations of what uh, the different generations want in terms of the terms of employment, benefits? You've talk, you talked a yes. little bit about work-life blend with millennials. Yeah. What, what yeah. did you mean by that, for example? Yeah, well, they want to feel like they're working with friends. Hmm. I can't speak for all 80 million of them, but many of them have said to me, I, feel, I want to feel like I'm working with friends. I value family. I want this to feel a little bit like family. Well, the workplace isn't family. It's, we, we can fire people and you don't fire family members. But at the same time, they want that feel of relationship and socialness there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's been by and large almost all the data we're gathering as is, is they say that. So here's a couple of ways I would answer that. Uh, some of the latest Gen Z data, which I think listeners might go, yeah, I'm, we're about to hire some young adults. I want to know what they want. They are not is just into change. They're into reinvention. So um, let, let me give you, it, this might be helpful. I just collated the latest data and um, I want to give you seven words that describe the generation that makes up Z, uh, and it may just be enlightening for an employer listening right now. So the letter F and foreign, this all spells the word foreign. Uh, they're fluid. Their identities are fluid, way more than we even realize. Uh, one nationwide poll, less than 50% even identified as heterosexual purely. So I'm not saying it's what I want. I'm just saying it's real. It's very, very fluid. Uh, the letter O in foreign, they're overwhelmed. The number one word that college students use to describe their life is the word overwhelmed. So they may come in with some mental health issues that you didn't realize they had. They're loaded with talent, but maybe they're just a bit um, taxed right now. Um, yeah, mental health issues are already rampant. We already know that. But, but depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, panic attacks are quite, the they've been normalized. The letter R is that word I already used, reinvention. They want to reinvent things. So they're asking for work weeks that might be four days, not five days, but they'll still work the hours in four days, but they'd rather condense it into four and then have three days just to do whatever they want at the lake or the river or the mountains or whatever. Um, the letter E is entrepreneurial. Did you know 72%? That's high of public high school students in America want to be an entrepreneur. They want to start their own company. So if we're hiring, we need to say, okay, let me, I want to capitalize on that entrepreneurial spirit. 
Maybe you can start some things. Maybe I can get you ready for that company in five to 10 years, but start here and learn, you know, that sort of thing. I love that. Um, so reinvention, entrepreneur, the letter I, independent. Uh, while the millennials grew up playing soccer in teams and even learning in teams at school, Gen Z, think about the last two years. They've been very independent in their learning, learning on a screen virtually, uh, learning alone. In fact, they are the loneliest generation of the last three. Uh, they'll even self-report, I'm very lonely right now. So I'm connected to a thousand people on Instagram, but I'm very lonely. I, I, that Maybe our workplaces can be places where community is felt and built. I think they need that and they want that. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, the letter G is geek. Uh, in our day, Leah, that was a negative word, but they embrace it. They are so tech savvy. Smart technology is their middle name. Uh, and I think they can teach us um, that. So, And then the letter N, also a word of yesteryear, but they're reinventing it, is the word network. They are so connected to people. Now, it may be on a screen instead of face-to-face, -face, but we need to know that they're networked. So um, they've often asked for, um, not only for four-day work weeks, they've been asking for pay at the end of the day, meaning instead of waiting two weeks for my paycheck, can you pay at the end of the day? And if you ask them, are you greedy? No, I'm living hand to mouth right now. I'm barely paying rent. And so if you could pay me at the end of the day, that would be so attractive. Now that's going to be a real shift for some employers. But what if we could rethink how we do this? What if that fast food restaurant who's paying those 60-year-old workers could pay at the end of the day? Oh my gosh, what a game changer that would be. Mm -hmm. I know it's zany for some of us, but um, I really think that they represent the future of the workforce. So that would be Gen Z. Uh, millennials, they're asking, what is this pandemic doing to my dreams right now? Will I ever be able to afford a home? My daughter, Bethany, asked me that. She's 33. Am I ever going to be able to afford a home? And I couldn't just say, oh, of course you will. I, I couldn't say that. Um, I'm hopeful she will. I'm going to help her a bit, but it's just a different day. Just know that they're facing very different thoughts uh, about the workplace right now. And they're wanting higher pay. That's why this great, um, um, what is it called? The great, the great resignation. resignation yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're a chunk of that because they're thinking, maybe I could do better. Many of them have said to me in focus groups, I want to find a pandemic-proof job. Isn't that interesting? Huh. Which might be Uber driving or Lyft or DoorDash or something. But they want something they... They don't feel like someone could let them go. They are in charge of their money and their time. And I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. The last two years, nobody knew what was fully going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. I'll stop there. I kind of monopolizing your time there, Leah. No, but I feel like we've got to be ready for those needs in each generation. And we need to speak the language. One of our habitudes is called chess and checkers. When you play checkers, all your pieces look alike and move alike. So you treat them all alike. In chess... Very different. Hmm. There's a bishop, there's a queen, there's a rook, there's a, and we need to be as leaders, we need to be chess players, not checkers players, and know who's in front of us and what their strengths are and their personality is and their needs are. I love that. And their different vulnerabilities yeah. and yeah. ways they move. <laughs> how, how do the different generations want to communicate differently in the workplace? Yeah. Well, this is one of the biggest uh, places there's conflict. Because, you know, the baby boomer executive, maybe the CFO or the CEO is going, I want a face-to-face -face meeting or I want an email. Well, 
Gen Z would go, my definition of email is a way to communicate with older people. You know, that's not what they're on. So we're using Slack at our office. It's a communal sort of way to communicate. And even our youngest team members go, okay, that's cool. I frankly would rather get an email, but, but I'm, you know, I'm my age. Mm. Um, I think it's very interesting when you find communication preferences, Gen Z and millennials will, do I need to make that statement again? Yes. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. So generation Z and millennials would much, much rather communicate on a text message, for instance. I'm not, I'm not saying they will, but they might. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've found some employers say that, yeah, some of their employees quit their job on a text message and left that day. And, and so that was just, again, maybe not them understanding um, how two weeks notices work and how you need to give me lead time, just like I would want to give you lead time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll pay you a severance if I need to let you go. I think it's some of it's just getting to understand each other, which is why I recommend a little practice called reverse mentoring. Tell us about that. I don't know if you've heard of that. Okay. It's really fun. And we've done it at Growing Leaders. I recommend it to your listeners. Reverse mentoring is when a seasoned veteran meets with a rookie, or maybe not a rookie, but a young team member. So old and young meet together. They go get a Starbucks. They swap stories. Regardless of age, I have found that people always find commonalities in their stories. Then once they've shared their stories, they, uh, the older person might say, let me coach you and how to succeed in this workplace. So they're sharing, you know, here's how we do things here. But then they turn around and say, now, would you mentor me in how we can perhaps take advantage of the latest social media platform like TikTok, you know, to market our company? Or maybe you could share with me some tech stuff that you've learned that I don't intuitively know like you do. So both parties, young and old, mentor each other. That's why it's called reverse mentoring. And here's what's really cool. Both parties get dignity added to their life. Both show respect to the other because both are giving and receiving from the other. And it ends up being a ends up being a win-win. When we have done this, it's been a marvelous bridge builder rather than wall builder in on our team. And uh, it, yeah, I can't say enough for it. I think it's a classic way to to kind of connect the generations that wouldn't ordinarily connect. Well, I... I have been to your headquarters and I, I've seen, knowing you as a friend, I've seen how you operate growing leaders and you really embody this and you embody these eight paradoxes of leadership that is one of your recent book and uh, listening to these younger people in your workplace that you have, uh, you're training up and learning from is, yeah. is just exactly what you're talking about. Thank you. We're, we're trying to practice what we preach. Sure, yeah. yeah. Do you think leadership is an appealing term to millennials and Gen Z? You know, it's a great question. It depends on what part of the world you're in. So I just looked at some data from Universum. It was a European survey, but they surveyed 70 plus countries. And Leah, in America, Gen Z and millennials don't like the word. But if you stop and think, sometimes they look up at the baby boomer generation in corporate America or government, and it's not a pretty picture. And they would go, I don't want that power trip those guys are on. And often it was guys, white males, you know, not all the time, but but oftentimes. So when you attach it to service, then they like it. Okay. In fact, here's what's interesting. Globally, Generation Z has a keener interest in leadership than the previous three generations, millennials, Gen X, and boomers. Yeah, but it's got to be connected service. 
So the phrases we use that seem to be appealing to the younger generation are leaders are people who solve problems and serve people, solve problems and serve people. Um, that seems to resonate. They want that. And of course, we need that. So when we mentor, coach, or disciple people, we would say, oh my gosh, we want to build you into a person that's very good at solving problems and serving people. They go, sign me up. Mm. Uh, but we got to change the definition, I think, because when they look at us, they don't always get a picture of something they want to be. Yeah, I see uh, higher ed is is undergoing a bit of a collapse, partly because of the pandemic, yeah. but partly because of uh, failures in their vision and leadership. Yeah. And uh, many Gen yeah. Z apparently are considering the trades rather than the profession. Um, yeah. So yeah. it may make them actually more open to, like you said, the service industry or the concept of service, yeah. uh, which is yeah. uh, true. a healthy development. It could be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, I, Leah, let me volley back on that. You and I are both, we love education. We, you and I both have been lovers of education oh, yeah. most of our career. Um, I feel like when, as the Gen Zers have morphed from the millennials, attacking an education has morphed into hacking one. And here's what I mean. 15 or 20 years ago, a typical young person might have just bought into what mom and dad said. And what mom and dad said was, just go to college and you get a great job. So they would attack that higher ed experience. They might get done in three years mm -hmm. and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, Gen Z watched what happened uh, 10 or 12 years ago with the recession. Mm -hmm. And many of those millennials went to college, graduated from college, and the great job didn't open up right away. In fact, they kept trying and trying and trying. And eventually they had to move back home. Not all of them, but many had to move back home. They became a barista at Starbucks. Now they have a $28,000 debt and darn it, they could have had that job before college. And so Gen Z says, well, I don't want that to happen to me. So they might graduate from high school and hack their way through their post-secondary experience. Mm -hmm. They might take a couple of MOOCs over here, get an internship there, take a master class there, get a couple of mentors over here, and their resume will be a hodgepodge of items that they'll show to an employer and she can hire them for a gig. It's called the gig economy. Right. I'll do a gig for a couple of years and have a gig on the side. Um, the corporate ladder has become the corporate lily pad. <laughs> so it's very, very different now where, you know, they have, might have five jobs in their 20s. Not all of them for sure. But I think employers need to say, what can I do to attract and coach and mentor that young team member so they want to stay longer than two years? That's what I think the need of the hour is. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to pour in to a young employee with training and mentoring, then you do hope that they will stay. It will disincentivize yes, the company yeah. if they don't think they're going to stay, but um, it's, yeah. a, it's a dilemma mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, it is. I remember Zig Ziglar used to say, he would hear managers say to him, well, what if I train these people and they leave me? And Zig said, well, yeah, that can happen, but it's better that you don't train them and they stay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we need to offer some coaching. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, would you like to close by telling us about any of your, your new products or projects? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. Yeah, you mentioned that the latest book is called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. Harvard Business School did a study and the report that came from, I think, over 300 business people was that in today's complex marketplace, leaders need to practice paradoxes. 
like humility and confidence, uh, vision and blind spots, which often don't go together. But they said, we live in such a complex time, leaders need to practice paradoxes. But this same survey said, we don't think our boss is capable or is currently practicing these paradoxes. So this book is about eight paradoxes that I've seen are the need of the hour that leaders need to practice in order to be magnetic to the workforce today. So I don't know who's listening to this, but if you are a leader of any kind or want to be a leader, this book might just be the social and emotional skill sets you need to lead well in 2022 and 2023. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim Elmore. And uh, I just want to encourage everyone to rate and review Conversation Balloons on whatever platform and uh, subscribe. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for listening to Conversation Balloons. Look for more episodes and information at leahfarish.com. That's L-E-A-H-F-A-R-I-S-H dot com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram.